welcome to the Keen on Yoga podcast, bringing you the stories of many people who in various ways are attempting to walk the path of yoga. Our intention is to inspire your own practice and commitment to yoga beyond the mat and in all areas of life. We consider this an offering, a service to the community and labour of love. If you feel inclined, any donations are appreciated, just visit our page and click the donate button at www.keenonyoga.co.uk forward slash podcast. I hope you enjoy the show. Today's guest on the Kiran Yoga podcast is Nia Ferrier. Nia established Ashtanga Yoga in Dubai in 2013. She was authorized level two in 2010. She's now quoted with providing a place of practice, a community in Dubai, having established Nilaya House, a yoga studio offering a full range of yoga classes, on which she runs and teaches from. She's also an avid student of yoga philosophy, as well as running an ethical textile business, working with local Indian women to ensure fair conditions and pay. However, the specific topic that I brought, that brought Nia and I together today, was that of the female menstrual cycle. As a man, you may notice me floundering at points, but I thought it an extremely important subject upon which to give more exposure. And Nia has been personally involved in charting her own cycle for a number of years now to her own benefit. On this podcast, she discusses the importance of honouring her, her cycle and the natural ebb and flow of life it suggests. I think for many, including me, having not given it full reflection previously, when we pause to consider that the body, indeed, as I, as I suggested, probably the male body too, has cycles, it does make perfect sense. And so therefore, instead of trying to gloss over these cycles to homogenise our lives, in contrast, it seems to be more sensible to use these natural biological patterns of the body accordingly and follow their guidance. Whereas they say, there is a season for everything. And it appears through our conversation, it's only when you respect and even embrace the winter that the spring and also the summer can then be enjoyed. So, hope you enjoy this podcast with Nia. And so, welcome Nia to the Gear and Yoga podcast. Really happy to have you today. Thank you. That's great to have you. And um, let's start where, where we always start. Um, can you just give a little bit of an introduction about how you came to find Ashtanga Yoga? Let's start there. Sure. Um, I actually started practicing in Hong Kong. I was living there as an expat in my early 20s. Until that point, I had always done yoga kind of on and off, um, just like casually. It wasn't something that I did seriously or I didn't really know what yoga really was um, and I kind of was drawn to the mat and ended up coming into a daily practice because I had a little bit of a sort of a crisis that can't goes on with many people in their 20s when they don't get engaged to the person they thought they were going to get engaged to and life doesn't quite work out the way it's meant to and for some reason that sort of sent me into a big um spin and made me look at a whole lot of things with my life. I remember actually being on this business trip to, I was working in public relations and I was quite quite senior as an account director and traveling around Asia. And I remember doing this business trip to Japan and it was this very stormy day. And I did this long walk on the seaside and was reflecting back on, I guess, my twenties or even back earlier and realizing that I couldn't really remember a weekend where I hadn't been partying or hadn't been drunk, <laughs> to be frank. And I yeah. started realizing that that probably could have been the reason why that things maybe weren't going as well as I would like in my life. I had the outside trappings of things doing well, but um, I wasn't really managing my, managing my finances properly. I had this, this relationship issue and it really made me take a step back. And I had that feeling like, Everything was unraveling. Everything was falling apart. Mm. And I had an idea that it was something connected, obviously, <laughs> to the sort of always the first to arrive at the party, last to leave kind of approach, which I must say when you're living somewhere like Hong Kong in an expat environment, it's very much the norm. So that type of culture mm. is kind of actually encouraged. So it, it wasn't like I wasn't doing anything else. I felt like everyone else was. Um, so I actually ordered a book off Amazon called Responsible Drinking. <laughs> right. <laughs> the first step 
Irresponsible drinking was take one month out from drinking alcohol. And I thought, oh my, I, I, how? I, I couldn't imagine it. I could not imagine doing that because I could not imagine going out to the social events yeah. during the week, not having a glass of wine. I could not going out and imagine going to dinners. It was such a part of my life and something I was very attached to and enjoyed very much, even though it was clearly causing a lot of problems. Um, so I decided to do it. And the only way I could get through that was to not go out, which was kind of like complete isolation. And I decided I'll start practicing yoga every day. Now, I'd always wanted to practice yoga more regularly, but the very fact is, is when you're hungover, it's really quite awful to practice yoga. <laughs> you sleep in, you miss the alarm, you can't get up, you don't go, you're too lazy, and in the evening you just want to come home and crash on the couch. So I also then reflected that I wasn't actually the person that I thought I was or wanted to be. So I decided to take that one month out I signed up to basically the cheapest place I could find. It was called um, Planet Yoga <laughs> and it was in, in Hong Kong and it was one of those big yoga gyms that was run by actually an Indian guy in Hong Kong and you could go to as many classes as you wanted for a very small amount. And I started going to whatever was on that morning um, but the Ashtanga Yoga class that I was going to was the one that, I really got hooked by. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and then you and then you were taught by Alex later? Was it was it yes, was Alex your main teacher up there? At that time is that um, Alex is actually following <laughs> he's preceding you on this podcast, you know. He I think he'd be one before you. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> yeah. that, that's very yeah. that's very nice. Yeah, yeah. Because the, the teacher of that of that class, he could see that I was really getting into the practice and he he said to me, um, you know, you, you need to go and practice Mysore style. You need to go and find Alex Medin. He is the proper teacher that you need to be learning from. But, you know, I am so, like, strong-willed and independent that I can't do anything that anyone tells me to do. So I just basically kind of ignored his advice. Instead, I concocted up these plans that I was actually just going to go to Mysore. That was my plan. Right. Because somebody else had then said to me, the, you know, this is Shanga Yoga, this is from Mysore in India. And I thought, well, I, I'll just, that's where I want to go. Like I, I'm just loving this so much. I want to go there. And I actually looked where Alex was teaching. And funny enough, it was it's a beautiful place in the Mandarin um, Oriental in the spa there. They'd created a dedicated Ashtanga Yoga room. And I felt like, oh, it was a little bit too expensive because I was saving money to go to India by this age, even though I'd never actually done a Mysore class at this point. <laughs> I finally felt like I'd saved up enough money and I could, you know, afford these classes. And, and finally I got into that class. And, you know, I had no idea really of the sequence. I'd only been doing it in that sort of gym environment. I couldn't remember it. But I remember that first session. and. Um, Alex literally basically guided me through the entire primary series and, yeah, there, there was no turning back after that. So <laughs> I then said I told him of my plans to go to Mysore and, and he said, yes, you know, you should, you should definitely go. And then I practised with him for the, I think, it was only actually the next three or four months until I actually left for India. But there was, you know, those periods of time that are, it's short in duration but kind of, very intense yeah, in, so in the yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Your first <laughs> yeah, your first proper Mysore teacher, that's gonna be something special, isn't it? Um and yeah. then you you went to Mysore, but I, I read you had a different experience because I didn't realise you went to you went to Sharat's class, not the main Shala. So when Sharat was teaching originally he was he was teaching later in the Shala and earlier in his, his own studio. This is another case of me just deciding to choose my own way and not doing what other people tell me. Um, what happened was that the Shala wasn't actually open when I wanted to go. I'd written the letter, um, and but I wanted to go there in March, and they'd they were closing for a couple of months. Sometimes they used to do that when it was very in that hot period. Um, and I, you know that period when you're waiting to get the letter back or something and then you never do? And, and I called and I think it was Saraswati I spoke to and I said, oh, I wrote a letter and can I come? And she said, yes, 
yes, you can come. And I was thinking, okay, she doesn't even know my name, but okay. <laughs> but I looked at the dates and I realized, oh, I want to get to India at this time. It's closed. So instead I went and had a month in the Shivananda Yoga Ashram. I then did some travel through Kerala, Karnataka. I spent some time in Humpy. Um, and I just started realizing like how much 27,000 rupees was which was the amount of money that was, you know, the, the first month of tuition. And my big plan was to stay in India for as long as possible. And I had this finite amount of money. So I was, I had this kind of, I was, I remember on the train coming down and thinking, who, who is this Patabi Joyce anyway, that everyone's telling me to go to? Um, I didn't even know this man. Uh, that's a lot of money. I, I'm not sure I'm going to go. So I went to, I went to BKS Iyengar in the uh, BNS Iyengar, sorry. BNS, yeah, 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 yeah. Which was an incredible experience because I was the only Western woman there at that point. Obviously, the Parakala Mutt where he was teaching the classes. I was actually just reading now. I didn't realize that Krishna Mancharya's great-great-grandfather was the head priest of that temple. So incredibly steeped in, you know, yoga history and I I was the only western western woman I didn't have any other western friends I stayed in Lakshmipuram I rode a bicycle there and back I had no idea of what was going on in Gokulam I didn't go there I just was in my little <laughs> BNS Iyengar world um, and enjoying that very much and enjoying exploring Mysore and and just having my own experience um I then finally made it to the Southern Star pool. <laughs> oh, then you start to realize, I, really, okay, here they are. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes. Here are all the West. And, yeah, I, yeah. and I then um, became friends with some people and one of them was a, a lovely um, Japanese guy who ended up being my, my boyfriend for a couple of years. And he suggested to me, he said, look, why don't you go to Sharat? Sharat's doing these classes that are running – you know, a little bit later in the morning, they're smaller. And that just seems like a good, I, I, it's some, I don't know why I decided, but I decided. And that was when Shiratji would teach with Patabi Joyce and then he would come mm. and do his own classes where Saraswati now well, was at one point teaching um, from about 7.30, which also meant I had time to ride the bicycle from Lakshmipuram, which I was still doing at that time, <laughs> dressed in Indian salwa. <laughs> as you do. <laughs> and that was, I didn't realize at the time how special that experience was, but it was, I mean, there was only 25 of us. I still couldn't bind in Marichas and a B then. So he would, would help me every day. He would help me with Supta Kumasana and then, and, and, you know, chastise me for riding the bicycle, <laughs> you know, learn to drop back and stand up there and all the jokes of, you know, make sure you wear a, crash helmet and all those things that <laughs> yeah you know people that's such think. a unique experience you had now yeah 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 but i didn't it was it was just my experience then but yeah looking back i it was it was pretty special what were your feelings about yoga at that time i mean like do you remember like what you oh. what you kind of thought you thought you were doing or what your aim and intentions were i didn't know what i, I knew clearly what i did know is i had, didn't know what i was doing um, I'd taken a big break out of my corporate career. People were asking me, what's next, what's next? And I was saying, I don't know. I just know that I have to do this. I was like, like burning with the desire for the knowledge of yoga, reading whatever I could, you know, going spending time in the Ramakrishna ashram, listening to Vedanta talks, you know. You know, there is a lot you can experience and do in, in Mysore. There is so much going on in that city when when you get out of the little Gokulam bubble and because I'd already started off in Lakshmipuram that's just kind of how I how I did things um so I I was meant to be kind of on this big yoga tour you know the the it's I think somebody wrote a book about it about the the PR executive who drops yoga school dropout it's called I felt like that was a bit by life but (laughs) (laughs) I I was going to go up to the Bihar School of Yoga. I was very interested in spending time in that ashram-style environment. Um, but then I thought, no, I mean, why would I leave this? I, this is the practice that I love 
So my six months came to an end. I went back to Sydney um, with the intention to get a job back in public relations and, and settle back down after living abroad. And I ended up working three jobs and saving enough money to go back to Mysore again a couple of months later. Because that in that that time was when you could just come in and out. You didn't have to have that six month yeah. break. Yeah. And you never went back to you never went back to work in a regular job again. That was it. No. I didn't. I did um, I would was able to do contract work. I was very lucky because I had some good connections within the network of the PR company I worked for. But yes, I never went back and but I didn't ha- I certainly did not have a big plan of what I was going to do. It just it did un- unfold. Mm. And now, what does yoga mean for you now? How does it ch- how has it changed from that experience to where you've come to now? Because now, I mean, when did you open up your studio in Dubai? Probably seven, eight years ago. Uh, actually, yes, you're right. About eight years ago. So right. Um, so a lot's changed. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's a good question and I'm always, always contemplating like what is yoga? Am I teaching yoga? Is this practice yoga? Does it help people achieve a state of yoga? Um, you know, I, so I've been teaching Mysore style now. I, I started actually in Japan. Um, I started a Mysore program in Nagoya. It was the first Mysore program there. Then I was very lucky to go back to Sydney and I worked for the Joyce Sharla there, um, very, very lucky to be have the chance to um, teach under David Roche, who's a big um, – Yeah, I I'd thought say, he was you know, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and David, so I learned a lot from him. Um, my home teacher when I would come in and out of uh, Sydney would be also Eileen Hall, so also extremely lucky to study with Eileen, who's just, you know, long, long commitment to Ashtanga Yoga. Uh, yes, and then I, I moved to Dubai and started the first Mysore program here in 2013. I started Ashtanga Yoga Dubai. And there are periods when I look at the practice and think, you know, it's kind of intense, it's kind of crazy. Um, why do we do this? And I think the point I'm at now, because I've started really um, – looking at things in a bit of a more holistic approach and particularly with I'm studying Ayurveda at the moment and I I actually feel like you can't really go get deep into a practice like Ashtanga Yoga without naturally touching on other aspects of life that's how it should be and, and particularly Ayurveda and I'm seeing it as a wonderful anchor for the daily life there's something with committing to a a daily practice and yes a strong one because a strong one keeps you interested you know I think sometimes you people off from yoga practices simply because they get bored now Shankar doesn't let you get bored and firstly we lead quite sedentary lives so why not spend an hour doing something pretty dynamic and active in the morning um, why not spend something that really takes a lot of absorption of the mind and keeps you interested? But And I guess I've come full circle now that I'm reflecting on it because I came to Ashtanga because it helped me get onto a more sattvic lifestyle. And ultimately, I mean, if you look in the Yoga Sutras, what Patanjali is wanting us to do, and I, I was just reading recently in Brian's commentary, and I love this, he talks about the sattvic I can't even say, sattvification of the chitta, changing the texture of the chitta to make it more sattvic by minimizing rajas, minimizing tamas. The practice has the potential to do that. It doesn't always, but it certainly has the potential because it anchors you that morning practice. You get into a rhythm and a routine for the rest of your day, which ultimately is is useful for the for the mind and the body. It, it is enhancing of a sattvic quality. Before we go on to our, our topic of uh, of interest today, which is um, particularly how to, or maybe is it necessary to modify the practice for female practitioners? What is it like teaching in Dubai? Just as an aside, is it? Do you find it? Is there any challenges there to, for the lifestyle? Is it is it a 
is it a kind of Hong Kong hedonistic place or, you know? It can be. Um, and I think it was my experience in Hong Kong that helped helped me move to a place like Dubai. I was already used to living in that very expat environment. When I first started, people said that um, it wouldn't work in Dubai because people are late, you know, go to bed late, get up, uh, don't get up early, they sleep in. But I thought that's nonsense. Um, you know, the Ashanga can work anywhere. It's you. It's if anything, sometimes in an expat environment, when people are away from their friends and their families, a Shala community becomes actually really important. Right. Mm, I know mm. when I've lived before, like sometimes on the weekends, before it takes a while to settle in and have friends and whatever, and you can feel really lonely. To have a Shala community is a really wonderful blessing to have in an expat community. Um, Dubai is a fascinating place because there's people from absolutely everywhere. It's incredibly international. It's one of the reasons I love living here. And, of course, you know, yoga cuts across all boundaries. That's what's beautiful about it. Then, of course, I have, um, you know, women that are covered. I have um, Muslim practitioners. And it's been wonderful to see that correlation of how yoga it's the science of religion, right? It's only going to take you deeper into whatever religion or spirituality that you have already within you. So if you are Christian, it gives you practices to help you become deeper in your faith. Similarly, same with, um, uh, um, uh, with Islam. In fact, I feel the, Islam, the Muslim religion has a lot of parallels with yoga because it's a religion of practices, you do things. You pray five times a day. Mm, you fast. Mm-hmm. You study. Yeah. You go to mosque. Now, these this is, this is kriya yoga. This is ish, you know these are all the things Patanjali is listed. I have a lot of you know students who say to me they got deeper into that faith because of their daily yoga practice, which to me like that is wonderful. Like that's the yoga working. Yeah, I mean, Patanjali says, doesn't he? Um, Use whatever whatever faith you are. Just commit to that. Yeah. It's, you yeah. Know, devote to your personal Ishvara, something like that. Mm. Is there somewhere in the Yoga Sutras? So, what about women then? Yeah. You're you know you've written a lot about women recently, and we particularly wanted to chat today uh, in order to have a little discussion about maybe how we might not we because I'm not a woman obviously, but how a woman might modify or look towards her practice in order to facilitate the most efficient and therapeutic and uh you know positive yeah. uh approach possible out of it you know because we're not all the same um well you know so let's yeah, just you start and i'll yes. i'll follow along yes yeah. so i think or always my teaching style um had been to what I, I realized after, I think after, you know, 10 plus years of practice, you start realizing that you have to adjust the way you practice. You cannot be mm. a robot. You cannot mm. get on the mat each day and bang out a practice because that's not yoga, okay? Because yoga is being in, having awareness and greater consciousness and understanding, you know, what your body needs. Now, I will say this, there is a period of time as a beginner practitioner where there's a lot of sometimes just, you know, a little bit of a push, that kind of like... Yeah, I mean, the danger we fall into, isn't it? It's like, well, if you say, well, oh, my body needs to, I feel tight, you know, it's like first sometimes you just got to like, okay, well, otherwise it'd be every day, oh, I feel a bit tired today. Exactly. And I always say, actually, one of my students came up with this line and I think it's Wonderful, because I always say to my students, when you wake up in the morning, do not listen to yourself. This is not the time to listen to yourself when the alarm's gone off. I know popular culture says you should listen to yourself, but I'm telling you you should not. Because if I listen to myself every morning, I would not get up. So you don't listen to yourself. That's a bloody good point. Yeah, yeah. Yes. But the caveat, until you get on the mat. Even okay. then, sometimes you have to not listen to yourself. And this is the role of the teacher, right? Because the teacher can know, can uh, sometimes, you know, be able to say, come on, you know, keep on when somebody wants to, you know, give up. But uh, eventually what we're trying to do is come to 
and understanding where you know what type of person you are. You know those, you, you know, yoga is about developing self-awareness and understanding yourself. So you know when you're being lazy or you know when you genuinely need a rest. So I had always sort of taught with that sort of, you know, way of thinking. Um, and I would teach men and women equally like that. You know, sometimes, you know, that's very important for a man who's been training or, you know, that simply just needs to take it easy or practice a bit lighter that day. You know, he doesn't have to do everything 100% every day because, you know, we are, as I said, robots. So that would always be my teaching style. This is kind of is really, I feel like I got the missing piece to this puzzle a couple of years ago when I started really looking into and reading and developing and, and understanding for my own self the rhythms that a woman's body and energy levels will follow through their monthly menstrual cycle. So I read a fantastic book called Wild Power, which I really recommend. It's by Alexandra Pope. And it basically looked at what happens throughout the course of the month and it divides the the month into like a woman's cycle into four seasons, spring being just after menstruation, summer right around the time of ovulation, autumn uh, leading up to menstruation, and surprise, surprise, menstruation is winter when you just want to hibernate and rest. So suddenly I just suddenly understood in such a deeper, more profound level, and I started observing for myself, okay, we've always had this in our system in Ashtanga Yoga. We've always, it was always the advice to rest during menstruation. Now, the problem was, I feel, it's never really been properly explained to women. So what would happen, you would go to Mysore and you were told to rest, and one, there'd be some women who wouldn't rest, who would say, I feel fine and I've paid to be here for the month and I don't want to miss out. Some people who would, like me, who I'm naturally a bit lazy, so I don't mind. And others who would say, well, that's offensive because that's an Indian thing and it's an offense against women because I'm being told to, you know, keep out of the, the shala for some strange cultural right. mm. reason. Right. Unclean. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yes. And, and of course, there is a big problem with this idea of purity and with. Um, oh yes, <laughs> yeah. But right. So. So then I started realizing and looking, and probably the, the teacher that then added the extra component to this was a woman called Uma Dinsmore Tully, and she wrote a book called Yoni Shakti, and that's when she started talking about, and it makes complete sense that. Uh, at the time of menstruation for a woman, we have we want to harness the apana, the downward flow of prana. That's what's happening with our body. Um, and this is why, you know, the study of Ayurveda becomes very useful. You start understanding how the body is seen in these different, you know, different pranas moving throughout. So as we know, in our Ashtanga Yoga practice, we breathe with, you know, essential to the practice of Ashtanga Yoga is the use of bandhas which is the upward flow of prana. So it's worth looking at our yoga practice. There is something that is going to support our overall health. It would make sense to choose practices based on what is best for our body, and now speaking about a woman's body, at that particular mm -hmm. time of month. It, does not make, it simply does not make sense to do a bundle work at the time of menstruation. Just as an aside here, I kind of, you know, I'm also reflecting, uh, also reflecting that probably a man has a cycle as well. We don't know what it is. It's never categorized, you know. Yes. I would love to learn about that. Well, I would love to know it. If you, if you <laughs> <laughs> let, let me know. If someone has any information on it, please send it through. <laughs> yeah, right. So, but, you know, I mean, like you have these clear, you know, kind of aspects like this, for these clear seasons as a woman, which is, you know, it's, it, it sounds very reasonable. And, yeah, I mean, why not honour them? And, and you really do, don't you? I mean, you, I, I was reading that you, you say yes, in, your, so in the winter, in the winter you, you, you really take ultimate rest and it's like you, you don't even you don't cook, you don't do anything, you just really just, like, hibernate, right? Is, yes. Is that, would, that, would you say that's a, 
Is that generally uh, advisable or is it just... Is it just yeah, it all starts with observing the winter. Mm -hmm. if, if you're able to observe the winter, and so for my students I will say take the rest from the practice, it, it, and it's not because you, you don't feel fine. You might feel absolutely fine, but let's do some practices that are more um, supportive of the apana. So in my shala, I, I encourage women, if they would like to, to come in and I will teach them a restorative yoga sequence, which is all about connecting to the earth, releasing into props, resting, rejuvenating. So if that time is taken, when the, when the period of bleeding finishes and we emerge into the spring, the spring is symbolized and actually experienced as a time of new beginnings, potential. It's when you're the most creative of the month. You've got lots of ideas, you're thinking about I could do this, I could do that. And it's also like at the time there's a, a lightness comes into the practice. You can feel it physically if you've, you know, really taken that time of rest. Um, and then we move around to the summer and that's when you're full power. And your full power in productivity, it's when you're the most social. I often say to women, it's also if you want to have a very good, happy marriage, it's the time for date night and other marital things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah sure. So and, you're feeling and amorous at that time. Like, exactly. And similarly for your practice, it's like, you know, there are those days where you want to do those extra handstands or work on that lift up, right. jump back. and. So I always used to observe this in myself. Why are there some times when I feel like this and why are there some times when I don't? And I used to honor it, but now it just, it just makes so much sense because I say, ah, oh, it's the summer and let's enjoy the summer. Autumn is also the time for a woman where the inner critic really comes out. So if you're somebody right. that faces that like strong inner monologue that can go on during your practice of being critical uh, worried about body image that might come out more during that autumn time mm. and when you know what it is it's much easier to deal with it because you can say ah oh, hello yeah critic. yeah this is why I yeah know you're going to visit me just for this period why why wouldn't i understand and this i just think why wouldn't people honor it like i don't see when you explain it like this, I just go, oh, why? I mean, you did you always honour it or did you want to try and push through? Or, you know, it just seems like such a common sense. I mean, there's so many there's so many women I see that, that you know, and I know over the years, we all know them, that will tell you they haven't had periods for this amount of time. And, you know, that's fine. You know, they don't they don't have a problem with that. They say, I feel fine. I, you know, like it's, it's just, a, you know, why can't I practice the same as a man? You know, I mean, yes, we um. We, you know, yes. we tread on shaky ground here, and I, I, you know, and I do too. With you know, in um, saying that women are different than men, when we're living in a kind of very, very uh, literal-minded society, let's say now, where we've got adamant equality that women and men should be exactly the same and have exactly the same practice cycle. Different does not mean yes. People being being different in your sexuality and embracing what it is to be a woman and similarly what it is to be a man does not mean that there's not equality. Um, no. I simply think it was a lack, I really feel, and this is why, you know, I'm talking with you today and why I'm do, talking with my students, I think it was a, a, a lack of communication about these things and it, it's starting to become talked about more. Um, I, what I realised is I feel very grateful that I come from a yoga tradition that does honour this because Uma Dinsmortuli, when she was writing her book and she's from the Satyanda lineage, she said that she would go to, you know, big workshops in ashrams where it'd be like 50 people and they'd be doing pranayama and breath work and never once was it mentioned, you know, if you're, you know, menstruating, this isn't appropriate, where it's very much a part of our system. And I really respect Shiratji for that because he's answered this many times. And I remember being in Copenhagen um, and we sat down to do some pranayama and somebody was like, uh, has, was asking, can you do pranayama at this time? And he said, he said, no, because you're doing bandhas. And he said a beautiful thing, he actually said, if, you know, yoga is about respecting other people and that respect has to start with yourself and that respect has to start with your internal organs. I thought it was beautiful. So it's interesting that we've got this perception of Ashtanga as being a very masculine 
um, tradition, which it can be if you practice in a kind of push, 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 that linear trajectory. But there's actually a way to practice that is very feminine. And I feel this understanding, the cycle awareness is kind of, is just adds this additional level for understanding your own self and then understanding yourself as a woman. Yeah, it really deepens mm. the yoga. I guess people might listening to this think, well, if I do this, then how am I going to make that progress that I want to make? You know, we want to make that progress in a physical, literal way. And I'm taking all this time off and, well, you know, what I don't want to slip back by, by too much honouring my cycle. What do you yeah, but firstly, we have to question what's the measure of progress in yoga. And so my definition might be quite different to somebody yes. else's. Yes, well, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Secondly, um, we have to let go of the concept of a linear trajectory of improvement because as we know as long-term practitioners, it doesn't work like that. And this is where people get frustrated with the practice when they think because at the beginning it is like that. That's what's the, the, the draw card, right? You start and you improve, you improve, you improve, and you just keep getting these improvements. But as we know, then you plateau out or you have an illness or you have a baby or you have a, a family member die, you have grief, and you go supposedly backwards, whatever that means. It's not backwards. It's, you're going in a, you're, it's not like this. It's a circle. That's how mm. yoga works. And the sooner people can embrace that, the long, the more they'll enjoy their yoga. Because the people that stay, that I find that stay attached to linear trajectory of improvements, the plateau comes. What happens? You give up, and then you miss that deepening, that plateau. As I'm sure you know, for a long-term practitioner, it's always that dark night of the soul, like nothing's working, nothing's working, and just before you go dip deeper into a deeper understanding. So it seems a natural idea that with these ebbs and flows, you've kind of got like this kind of inward circle happening already. That it's that you don't you know, yes. you kind of taken into into a kind of cyclical idea of progression rather than a linear one, where you kind of go into hibernation yes. and then you kind of come out of it into creativity into yeah, and then you kind of go back into kind of because of the hibernation period. As I've said to many people before, it's a kind of you know, it's not a necessarily a closing down, but it's a kind of um, incubation. You know, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a way to. It, it is like a hibernation to to restore and be ready to come out for the spring. And I always felt that the beautiful part of our practice of a start, the first step when you start observing the moon. Do you remember that first time when you turned up to the shala and it was closed? because it's the moon day. You probably don't remember. It was too long ago. But, you know, my student, new students still have that happen. And, I, and then I love this moment because I say, okay, you've got to start following the moon now. And there are very few reasons why people need to follow the moon. We live in cities. We're so disconnected from nature. I remember being in Hong Kong, I'd have to really look out for the moon. Of course, now you can have apps and whatever, but I didn't have an app then. <laughs> And that was the first beginning of this idea of, you know, that we are connected to something beyond our body. And then, of course, for a woman, you're following the outer moon, which is in corresponding with your inner moon, mm. um, the, the, the cycle. But this idea of things moving in circles and cycles, I mean, this is, this is how people used to live with the earth. You know, Australian Aborigines lived, they didn't have a concept of time. There was a, this time, it went in a circle. It was seasons that just was repeated. And they lived in harmony with the land they were on for about 30,000 years. <laughs> Complete harmony. So this, the, I don't know, we could move into a, a feminist environmental uh, <laughs> discussion now. <laughs> but, um, yeah, thinking things in cycles and circles can be a, a very liberating concept for, you know, for most of us that are kind of caught in the, you know, dare I say, patriarchal linear movement. <laughs> mm. Yeah, but again, it just throws the question back and to try and find a way to have a, some kind of kind of ebb and flow of a male cycle as well. Because you need those times of rest and rejuvenation yes. to kind of go forward again. You can't just keep pushing consistently. You have to wait and then you have to push yes. again. So 
I think there's, you know, honouring it for a woman makes, you know, it's, oh, you obviously got a literal kind of demarcations there uh, and men listening to this might find their own uh, that, or, or at least honour that sense, you know, at a certain point that you but can I trust if you're tired, that you are tired, but... not just lazy. Yeah. Um, I think it's concerning when you kind of see so many people burn out and you think, well, maybe they haven't listened to some sense of in a cycle in the end. And I mean, have you, have you seen the, the, like the, the practical ramifications or, you know, results of, of women, you know, was that something you've seen and experienced of women not honoring the cycle? Yes. Um, firstly, it's like a big relief because it, and and it's, and kind of an understanding of like, oh, I was kind of wondering why, you know, I did, you know, dropping back was hard just before having, you know, my periods and, and all these things, uh, of course, women have always been noticing, but it takes it to a new level when you start really kind of honoring it and rather than feeling like you have to push through. And, you know, one thing that I always learned from my teacher, Eileen, is, you have to practice with intelligence. She would always say this. And this is, this is actually what we're doing in yoga, right? We're trying to develop viveka, a discerning mind. Now, that means a mind that can make the right decision at the right moment. Um, and that's making intelligent decisions about our practice. So is it intelligent if you are doing marichasana B and your you know, womb is bloated to feel that you have to do the exact same bind that you did the day before, but, you know, when the conditions in your body are different, I don't think it is intelligent. Does it matter if you don't do that bind? It doesn't matter. What is it? What matters is supporting your health and greater and, and harmony. That's what matters, you know. Mm. So finding, mm. and that, that becomes interesting as well to, to start, you know, developing that Viveka, that discerning mind. That's the, that's what we're trying to do, right? <laughs> and again, just to—I to, like to play devil's advocate, but on the behalf of my listeners, of course. And, and what happens if some women say, "Well, I actually feel most energy, um, you know, around the time of my period." You know, I've heard that said. Um, you know, I actually feel a bit tired beforehand, but when it starts, then I feel more energy. I feel great, you know, like, uh, and, and then. Well, should you ought to say, well, I should honour this anyway, even though I don't feel that way? Or, you know, should you just carry on as you, as you feel? Yeah. So for that, I would say, yes, you may feel more energised, and I will tell you one reason why you may. So it's believed, um, and Uma Dinsmortuli talks about this, that a why, you know, a women's cycle is so special and should be observed, that it's thought that potentially – that is the time, at the time of menstruation and the time of ovulation, that the Shushumna Nadi is actually open. Okay, so, hmm. you know, we're swapping between the Ida and Pingala Nadis all throughout the day, one nostril, one nostril. Every 90 minutes there's a brief moment we go into the Shushumna Nadi. It's so brief that we never, we never notice it. We spend all our, we do a lot of yoga practices to try and cultivate the, you know, the clearance of, the energy up through the Shushumnadi. So the time of menstruation, ovulation, a wonderful time for seated practices, not pranayama, because you don't want you don't need to do the bandha. You don't you 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 will be able to access a meditative mind at those periods. It is a time for stillness. It's like no Dr. Robert Savoda has often asked about this as well in terms of tantric practices. People ask, do I need to do my rituals and things? And what he says is very similar to what Uma says, you are the practice at that time. Like the ritual is going on within you. You don't even need any practices. That's the, that's the point. Like just mm. be it, feel that connection. Mm. Um, and certainly times of menstruation, because of that strong apana, that downward pool it's you know that groundedness and connection and you have quite a you know open heart in that period of time as well so yeah it can be nice to try and tap in and observe that let go of the practices Uma Dinsmortuli takes it one step further she says I mean she's a real radical feminist she says Hatha yoga was developed by men 
to ha- try and have these same experiences that women naturally have in their body. <laughs> huh. <laughs> One interpretation, yes. <laughs> that's, that's interesting. Well, it does make sense, and I really, I'm really taken by the idea of the cycles because I think there's you know something cyclical about the, the cycle of our own organs, so the cycle of our own consciousness, so the kind of deepening of a groove there, rather than this idea, which is a masculine, definitely centric idea of a linear and material progression that you can kind of see and quantify mm. in a kind of, you know, in a kind of most obvious way. And we all know, like, in terms of sadhana, like, it's always squeeze and release, right, in, t- in intensity. Mm. Like, yeah. periods of... Whatever sadhana you're doing of like intensity, but you can't hold that intensity. It falls away. It's just like it's like an expansion and contraction, you know, a pulsating of the universe that goes on. Um, and what back to then what you were asking about, like how it, the practice might be then uh, adapted for women and bodies. So... Obviously, there, I would inc- I encourage an adaptation, you know, modifications if needed, like in the lead up to the cycle. Like I said, you know, you don't need to have the foot pressing deeply into the abdomen, yeah. um, those type of things. Seems very reasonable but idea. I also now <laughs> uh, other other aspects, you know, depending on the shape of a woman's body, like sometimes like summer city here with both feet together. I don't even really do that much anymore. I don't find it that comfortable. <laughs> and some women's bodies that I know that are very shapely, it's just like it's you're trying to bring the feet. It's very it feels very unstable for summer city heat feet all the way together. So I, I'm quite happy for for women or even men, you know men depending on the shape sometimes can you know feet slightly apart, and you know. The teachers have to be cognizant of like the sh- the look of the asana is it's going to look very different on a woman that has like a shapely buttocks or shapely thighs. You know the marichasana. You know I often have women say, "Does my knee have to come onto the floor?" And I say, "Well, yeah, it's coming down towards floor, but the fact is, is you know when you've got a lot of tissue there, <laughs> you can't get your knee on the floor, right?" Mm-hmm. Like, it's not because of like a limitation in the mobility of the joint. It's just like there's something preventing yeah. it. And yeah. so to feel like you're having to try and fit to the way an asana should look that's demonstrated by a very different body shape. Um, and, of course, this, this is stuff that's not just for women. It's, you know, it really is that working with what you've got. And we all have different, come in different shapes and sizes. And, a, you know, a skilled teacher will, will know how to you know, make adaptations for that. Granted that 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 skilled teacher is not a woman or, you know, what would you say to a man who's teaching in terms of facilitating or or helping this idea of cycle? Or is there anything, or is it completely the responsibility of the woman or does the teacher have a role in it? It's really tricky for a man, obviously, um, because Mm, I think what's happened in the past is when men have maybe said, oh, you should rest a woman could easily say, yeah. well, you're a man. Yeah. Why should you tell me yeah. what to do? Um, I think, like, personally, I had my husband read that book, Wild Power. I think if men are interested in this topic, to read it and understand the topic a little bit further and to be able to talk in terms of that that concept of prana, I think as soon as you explain it like that, it really makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, the example that a, a tantric teacher also gave me is, you know, there was a reason why women were told not to go into temples beyond purity in India. And it was because the, the chanting that would take place in temples, the reverberation would also have an upward pull of prana. And that vibration, and of course we know that everything in the world is vibration, that vibration would be stored in that temple. So even spending time in the temple at the time of menstruation would be considered disturbing to the flow of prana, okay, which is a very different way of looking at it than, you know, we're men and we're telling you women that you can't stay, come into the temple. Hmm. Um, So I think for a man, you know, to understand those issues in a bit more depth rather than just, you know, 
you, you shouldn't um, practice. Uh, I would say also it's tricky. Women around body issue is very sensitive for women. You know, uh, it's I, – I also certainly feel like no woman should ever – no one practicing yoga should ever be made to feel like they can't do that practice because of their particular body shape at this point. You know, like they've got to eat less or, you know, I think you had a blog recently touching on this and I yeah. think it is a bit of a dark side of our tradition right. because there are certain asanas that you – and that idea you were saying about that, that lightness, you know, mm. wanting to have that mm. lightness. Well, I'm trying to say like, yeah, you might have that lightness at one particular time of the month. <laughs> you might have a heaviness at another time and that's fine. <laughs> you don't have to be mm. light all the time because the body doesn't work like that. Or life. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, in as much as we all want the great, it's like, it's, you know, more and more, I think we're encouraged to feel that we ought to be happy and have the great, exciting, you know, experience all the time. Whereas there's, there's, you know, there's a balance, isn't there? You can't have that all the time, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, to me, that's the beauty of the daily practice is because it does become such a great tool for understanding yourself and seeing... You know, already when you're practicing daily, you're observing these things within yourself. You're seeing, you're noticing the different mind states. You're noticing the different energy levels. You're noticing the the self-talk that goes on. It's very confronting, the the daily practice, because you, you're shining like a spotlight of awareness of what's going on. And, these, and the things that were existing at the subconscious level are coming at, are starting to rise up and come to the surface. So, you know. Well, also, just on a pragmatic level, you'll just know your body. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, previous to that, you probably don't know what's going on. Yeah. Just before the period is like, you know, can be terrible. It's like a period of like huge big doubt and I'll notice more like some negative self-talk and, you know, it's a very rocky period. I mean, this is what people describe as, you know, they call it, you know, make it a syndrome, like PMS syndrome. Actually, that autumn period can be really beneficial because, yes, the wise woman is speaking and you're hearing a lot of sometimes criticism, but actually sometimes she's got some some truths and some important wisdom to pass on. So this then, then links into, you know, this seasonal aspect is obviously is not just for the month, but it's for the duration of um, – for the woman's lifespan. So obviously during time of ch having children, this is the summer period. Mm. And then you know, right, myself, right. I'm in my 40s I'm, I'm going to be soon entering, you know, the perimenopause period and then, you know, eventually menopause. So the perimenopause is the autumn period, which, you know, can be like really confronting for a lot of women and, of course, big changes to the body that might impact uh, practice. Uh, and, then, and then menopause as well is considered the winter period, which beautifully was explained to me, you know, a woman really comes into her power in the winter, which you, we think, well, that doesn't make sense because in our society we're just used to when a woman gets old. <laughs> like what, what's, what's the use of an old woman? Well, an old woman has got a lot of wisdom. She's also by that stage, finished her duties as a householder and as, well, teacher explained to me, when your, your menstrual cycle finishes, you're less connected to the outer moon. You're not having to follow that anymore. So you can really just tap into your own inner right. wisdom, your own mm. inner moon. Mm. It's quite beautiful. And I've been speaking to, you know, different women who are in that time at the moment because, you know, we don't it's not something it's talked about publicly you need to do a podcast on that with the woman if <laughs> so the menopause What's that? Menop period i'm going to i'm yeah. trying to, yeah and i mean Good. it's hard you know to on the it's not e actually easy to get women to to talk about it yeah yeah strangely enough yeah strangely enough and it's well because it's something that happens to a 50 percent of the population there shouldn't be a taboo around it but i, I know think i'm going to do something on it and yeah i don't yeah. think so too um and 
it's been remarkable to hear the story and I just kind of sit here reflecting well I would love to know my own cycle you know because I'm sure there is male cycles but it's it's helpful to have a confirmative kind of okay this is what's happening now and this is why I feel this way and you know and this is going to be a period as well I mean some kind of structure I think the practice provides a structure and and this Mm. For a woman, I mean, obviously, I'm not saying, oh, it's great to have, you know, because there's obviously some drawbacks and some discomforts and all that, you know. But, I mean, on the other hand, it does provide a, a, a demarcation and a clear a kind of, uh, you know, structure to follow within the cycles of one's yeah. life. No, one, the, the cycle awareness work, it's, it becomes, it's like such a blessing. Like, I feel like I'm so happy I found this to enter my 40s. Mm, mm, I mm. want more women to know about it when they're younger. Yeah, um, absolutely. the yeah. side effect, uh, you know, what tends, to, what it doesn't always happen, but quite often what happens is um, the, the negative symptoms that are associated with um, menstruation can be minimised. Uh Okay. You know, okay. Pain, yeah, pain often is a sim- is a result of women not being given the chance to honor that process, um, and we haven't been because the the mantra up until now is like you don't need to stop. You can do everything that a man can do. You know, even uh, tampon ads and whatever. I even saw an ad for a tampon company, and the girl was doing she was doing kapatasana. And because right. it was saying mm. you don't need to stop, yeah, and, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah right. All do that. You can keep going. You can keep going. So the what we're now coming through is you know a rise of people you know with you know pain, endometriosis, all these things that I do know women, and I I do know women personally, and for myself, the the pain associated with having the period was minimised once it was being observed and honored and right okay in space for because the body has a job to do and if you're just like too busy trying to do something else you know that's why the periods stop right as well right that's good information so i also had a period i also had a time of not having my periods for about two years um probably when i was in the you know a lot of travel a lot of intense practice a lot of um, restrictive eating, you know, that at the time you call it a cleanse, but actually it's just like a starvation, like a, a spiritual starvation, <laughs> a, a fasting, but really it's just that you want to lose weight. Um, and uh, I, I thought that was great because I didn't have to worry about them. What I was missing the bigger picture, like, if you're not having something that is part of your what you're meant to have, like part of your body's uh, cycle and yeah. rhythm, you're not in, you're not healthy. <laughs> Why <laughs> yoga is you know of course you know it's confusing with yoga sometimes because we have this very like that mental aspect of it and the you know what we're doing with our minds, but. You've got to have a health, you know, that's the whole basis of Hatha Yoga, right, is that your body is, you know, a, a tool. So that tool needs to be in good health. Yeah, I think it's just a kind of bias by living in male-centric cultures that with this assumption that we just there's one trajectory and there's just this, this kind, of, kind of materially pushing attitude which doesn't really honour the fact that you have this this different kind of rhythm one all people in fact really but especially for women mm. this idea that you can just put a tampon in and then just carry on as normal it's just like put this inconvenience aside just seems like a you know just a a travesty really for you know well i think that's exactly the word you use there is right it's up and uh, most women have encountered their periods as a inconvenience rather than um an actual you know as a as a blessing and for me this this cycle awareness um work now i really look forward to that time because also i can you know i have i do feel more spiritually connected um it's a it's a beautiful time and you know in fact there used to be tantric practices that were connected to this right 
Yeah, and it always used to be a good time as well where women, you know, as much as it was ritualistic, that women were able to spend time together without having to do any work, you know. Yes. I mean, there's a story, I don't yes. know, where someone told me in the podcast, I think, they said, oh, where is, they said, where, you know, for Patabi Joyce, where is um, Saraswati and Amma? And they said, well, oh, they, they haven't, you know, they're up in the room. And so go, why are they there? Oh, because they're on the period. And then they came back. Like, Who was it? Someone said to me recently, they, said, they came back and said, oh, my God, we haven't seen you for, how are you? You know, they've been locked inside for these days. And they said, well, oh, we have a great time. We love it. Just, you know, nothing to do. We yeah. don't have to do any work. We can, pa- we can paint our nails. We can read the magazines. You know, we can, you know, <laughs> exactly. chat together. You know, this is a, a great time. Um, that is starting to happen more and more. Um, there is a, a quite an important book within this type of work um, called The Red Tent, which is actually set in uh, this part mm, of the world, actually, in around the time of Wittenham. Um, and it talks about, you know, because at that time women would actually menstruate at the same time because you would be connected with the earth and its rhythm. So tradition, it's not always, but quite often it would be the new moon um uh sometimes a full moon so all the women w- would say would be in this red tent and yes it was it wasn't like they were being ostracized it was more that they were going to have that special time in honoring what was happening with their bodies and it was a wonderful time of sisterhood so this is starting to happen more and more that the people are developing you know putting together these red tent um events i personally just feel like it's a big thing just to be able to speak openly with your friend and just say look I'm not me. I, I'm. I would just call my friend and say, "Well, I'm not meeting for lunch." You know, I've started my periods today, <laughs> and they'll completely understand that and think that that's absolutely, you know, because my friend follows me. But yes, rest, enjoy the rest, and you know, see you on the other side, <laughs> kind of thing. I guess yeah. it like also just involves a, being able to have a, a collective kind of shift back of consciousness for women. Otherwise, you're kind of it's you know it's easy to be led you know because no one else is doing it or more and more people are doing it that's great but you know if you phoned your friend up and they said oh why not you know like don't be so silly come out you know like just you know carry on you know then you're kind of going against yeah, the grain aren't you you know yeah so that's right no that's why the the word needs to get out I, i'm particularly talking about it i, I i'm talking about it in the ishtanga yoga concept con- context because i think it's important that people understand this idea of the um well what we're doing with bundas firstly you know so yeah exactly yeah because a lot of you know and and i will also give women advice because then the question comes sometimes women everyone's period varies in length so someone could be like five days and it feels a long time to be off the mat right so my advice is normally like first three days take the complete rest if you are returning to the mat things are lightning that's then when you use your intelligence to practice in a different way to how you normally practice. I personally say you don't need to jump back. Why would you? To jump back, you have to lift up on the inside. You're not going to be doing that at this time. You also leave out strong twisting um, and you can also, because you've got to think that you just, you want to keep that whole area like just free and, you know, no uh, restriction, unrestricted. Yeah. And you also wouldn't do, you know, intense, you know, backbending. So these way, learning how to adapt your practice in this way is useful for this time, but also for women, you know, pregnancy, you have to learn to adapt your practice. When you're coming back from having a baby, you need to learn how to adapt. There's so many different stages in life. When I'm teaching women, people who are fasting, I'm also advising them how to modify but I think, yeah, just the very idea of adaptation is so, I mean, aren't we always adapting, right? And in, and in adaptation, yeah. there, I mean, if you just know something, if you learn it by rote, you've not really known it. But if you, if you take that yes. information and you make it your own, i.e. adapt it, then that's where the real learning and the real transformation happens, you know, and for all people. You know? But, but especially I've observed, here. yeah, I've observed that the people that, have some big crisis, like in their physical body, like a big injury or like, for example, I had one student who had um, a hysterectomy, very nervous about having time away from practice. She was a very dedicated practitioner. Of course, it's very challenging. It's a difficult life stage. It's when you really need your practice. So 
we had to work out a way for her to be able to come back into the shala and slowly rebuild that practice in a way that did not, you know, destabilize, mm. obviously, after the surgery. And we just go back to the essence of what the practice is. It's, you know, the tristana, you know, focus on the breath, focus on the dristi, connect the breath with the movement. And she said, like, her practice deepened so much, even though she went right back to just doing, you know, Surya Namaskars. It's a wonderful journey to go on that, that going back and just really connecting with the essence and realizing that the external form, like come what may, that's, that's going to change. And eventually your, this body is going to give away. And, yeah. you know, my teacher, Eileen, who had breast cancer, she says mm. a beautiful mm. thing that like at the end of the day, what are you left with? You're left with your breath. That's what you're left with. So if we can tap into that every day. And when you have, when you have to practice with that heightened awareness because you've got an injury, because you're managing something, then you really come into a state of yoga because you're really present <laughs> rather than being on automatic pilot. It can be a blessing. It can be an absolute blessing. <laughs> That's a wonderful point to leave it, I think. Let's, 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 uh, let's yeah. make that a wrap. But yeah, so it could be a blessing. And, um, yeah, is there any place that people can find you to um, to hear more about this? Do you, you write about it on yes. your blogs at Ishtanga Dubai? Yes, I write it on my Instagram, um, Nia Solange Ferrier. And, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm writing about this topic quite a lot because I find actually um, women are appreciative to, to get this, this information. Um, we will put it out there more and more, for sure. Thank you for, for inviting me right. here and, and listening right. to all this woman's talk. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was quiet. Well, I was quiet. My quiet. husband read the book and now he fully understands. <laughs> I was quite quiet today because I've not much to comment, you know, but, um, it, you know, I think it's very important to get it out there. And thanks for coming on, Nia. Thanks, Adam. Bye. Thank you.